Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Hey, hey! (laughs) Fall is in the air. So much. You would not believe the amount of leaves I've swept off of my balcony this, uh, this week. Yeah? And listener... When I say balcony, just understand that that means I live on the second floor in an apartment. (laughs) Don't assume (laughs) I just have balconies in my home. In your terrace. Um, I love the trees in the summer because it really keeps my apartment cool. Oh, nice. And when I tell you that multiple times this week, I have had to sweep up a blanket of leaves that is at least four inches deep (laughs) really twice wow twice i have done that this week (laughs) that's amazing because you don't really i mean i live there so i should know better but you don't really think of falling leaves in the fall in california it is so fall here so red and yellow i don't know what's going on (laughs) Oh, that's nice. We've already entered the everything looks dead phase here. Ah, horrible fact that I will admit. So I don't use the balcony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't have any furniture out there. Mm-hmm. I, it's just a thing that I have to clean. Um, but then why do you sweep it? Well, that's the story. Okay. Because <laughs> my first fall, winter, I did not. Yes. And when I tell you... I opened the door, and the blanket of leaves was at least a foot deep. (laughs) (laughs) And the under part of the decomposed wet leaves, the hour plus it took me to clean that disgusting mess, I was like, I will never let leaves accumulate here again. (laughs) It was hell. I mean, clearly you don't, we're not the same person 100%, because my solution would be just never open the door. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but then this is another glimpse into how my brain functions. I was like, oh, no, but if all those wet leaves cause some sort of rotting problem with the wood, and then they're going to say that's my fault, and I'm going to be charged for it. Mm. That's where my brain went. Yeah, that is your brain. Oh, (laughs) God. Because then I would be like, I'll sue them for planting a tree over my terrace and, you know, whatever. I mean, I wouldn't, but that's what I would have told myself to justify (laughs) never going out there or sweeping it. (laughs) I'm afraid to look out because I literally swept yesterday and I'm afraid of what it looks like because all night, last night while I was watching TV, it almost sounded like rain, just like leaf after leaf after leaf (laughs) after leaf hitting. I'm just imagining, like, for someday when we have our writing partnership and we are writing a sitcom or a funny movie, like, that scenario, and then you need to hire a landscaper to come and blow your balcony. (laughs) (laughs) But just your balcony. I think that would turn into me buying an electric leaf blower, (laughs) literally, for this, like, (laughs) 10 by 5 foot balcony. 
I mean, it would be so much funnier in a show if you hired a landscaper who was like, should I come into your apartment? What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) One of the weirdest components last year, I believe, as I was sweeping the like roof slants. So like at the far end of the balcony, I'm almost as tall as like the tip of the roof. Mm -hmm. And there was a squirrel that was like really watching me in a weird way. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. So I was sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. And I look up and like literally less than a foot away, this squirrel is like reaching out for my head. <laughs> like <laughs> leaning, holding on to the roof and reaching to touch my head. What the hell? I was just like, and then it just stared at me not did not run did not move just stared at me and i just like stopped sweeping and went inside and shut the door there's nothing scarier than brazen wildlife it was just i've never had a squirrel encounter like it that reminds me though of one of the things like you know usually in our banter we'll ask each other what we've been doing and i didn't even have much to report last week and i don't have a lot this week but we discovered our common love of the show alone when oh. I was in California. And so your anecdote reminded me of we just finished season seven. And all I can say is musk ox lips. Holy oh. shit. I'm, I'm a different person than when I saw you <laughs> in California. <laughs> I'll never be the same. That show is incredible. (laughs) And I had a conversation with someone else this week about our conversation (laughs) about how I think I could be, I could mentally survive 30 days Uh without speaking to a human (laughs) or seeing a human. I mean, I could do that standing on my head. I can't do the survival part. Yeah, but I could be alone. For 30 days (laughs) although i was i was also talking about our conversation but differently because i was saying how we were talking about it and yada yada but so i have a apple watch and i like to obsess over all my metrics and whatever just because i'm weird not because i'm like an elite athlete or anything (laughs) but i noticed in my metrics that when i sleep my respiration rate is like between 8 and 11 and under 12 is considered low and not normal and i was like i'm a fucking hibernating bear like i'm legit (laughs) a hibernating bear metabolically i could kick anyone's ass on alone i could out starve everyone meaning i could like use my reserves forever because my metabolism is so shitty (laughs) (laughs) and listener uh kirsten's strategy for survival was to just sit there not hunt (laughs) not fish just have a water supply and last for 30 days by just not eating at all yeah i i could do it i i could for sure do it for sure there's and no... we say 30 30 is just arbitrary people go longer than that but... yeah i mean honestly and i'm taking aside like the hunger pains like i wouldn't be good at that part i would suck at that part and i would be like i'm tapping out so i can have a cheeseburger or whatever 
But, like, if I couldn't tap out, if it was not an option to tap out, I believe my body could go 60 days without food. And, like, maybe not even be emaciated. (laughs) What I don't understand is why more contestants don't bulk the hell up before going into the wilderness. Yeah. Because that one guy who was fairly large made it super far. Yeah. (laughs) Because your body can eat itself. Well, one... Did he win? One won that way. We don't want to give spoilers, but you know who I'm talking about. Because there are some thin people that start the journey thin, and it's like, this is clearly a bad choice. Well, and I also think it's so funny because the Venn diagram between people who want to put themselves in that situation and people who have a high metabolism is pretty much a circle, it seems. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like these outdoorsy people who, oh, I can't be doing nothing, those people. Um, which I am clearly not. I'm the opposite of that person. And so they know they're going to need more than someone who maybe goes in thin but doesn't have that kind of metabolism. But again, we're not there because we're on our couch watching the show about it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I'd say more often than not, I'm in my bed watching the show, not even on the couch. A thousand percent. (laughs) Do people watch TV not in bed? (laughs) is that a thing i didn't know that was loud actually no we resisted having a tv in our bedroom for a really long time and then you know covid just threw all propriety you gotta do what you gotta do yeah we're we're surviving uh alone yep not true crime but psychologically interesting and I think deeply connected to the case. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So should we jump in to I think so. DB Cooper part two electric boogaloo. (laughs) I cannot wait to hear. So this week I'm going to be talking about the pop culture legacy of DB Cooper. So FBI agent Ralph Himmelsbach famously called Cooper a rotten sleazy crook (laughs) (laughs) but his bold and unusual crime inspired a cult following that's expressed in song movies books novelty shops sell t-shirts emblazoned db cooper where are you (laughs) restaurants and bowling alleys in the pacific northwest hold regular cooper themed promotions and sell tourist souvenirs There's a Cooper Day celebration that's been held at the Ariel General Store and Tavern each November since 1974, Mm. with the exception of 2015, the year its owner, Donna Elliott, passed away. Rest in peace. Hell, there's even an annual convention known as CooperCon, which is held every year in November in Vancouver, Washington. No. Yes. The event was founded by Cooper researcher Eric Euless and... 2018. It's a multi-day gathering of Cooper researchers and enthusiasts. Oh my god. Okay, Shout so... out if you're listening. <laughs> side and... side question. Yeah. So, if Cooper survived, and if Cooper is still alive, do you think Cooper has been to CooperCon? Oh, I definitely would if it was me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and so CooperCon actually took the place of the annual D.B. Cooper Days, which ended when the owner of the Ariel Store pub died and the pub was closed. Mm. So even though CooperCon, as it is today, started in 2018, it was going long before that. Oh. So right off the bat, this is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> not the biggest ever. I'm okay. not going to make that assertion. Okay. So the incident being so wild and so big and unsolved, it, that all converges into this place where we're still obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. So I'll start the discussion by looking at the world of literature. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few books, so I'll only name some of the top ones. And they really fall into two categories when looking at nonfiction, and that's books about the investigation itself and books about the conspiracy theories. Mm. So looking at the investigation, there's D.B. Cooper, Dead or Alive by Richard Tosa in 1984, Skyjack, The Hunt for D.B. Cooper by Jeffrey Gray in 2011, D.B. Cooper and the FBI, A Case Study of America's Only Unsolved Skyjacking by Bruce Smith in 2016. And then most recently, there's D.B. Cooper and Flight 305, Reexamining the Hijacking and Disappearance by Robert Edwards in 2021. Hmm, wow. So flipping over to the conspiracy, top nonfiction, which that's an it, just an interesting, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it could be fiction. <laughs> so an interesting realm of conspiracy and nonfiction but anyway keeping that binary um it includes books like db cooper what really happened by max gunther in 85 into the blast by skip portis and robert blevins in 2011 db cooper examined identified and exposed by matt lafoque in 2019 and most recently, also in 2021, The Last Master Outlaw, the award-winning conclusion of the D.B. Cooper mystery by Thomas J. Colbert. Mm, And again, nonfiction, but these books say they've solved the crime. (laughs) (laughs) It's not intentionally fictional. (laughs) Yes. But moving to fiction... We have James M. Cain's 1975 novel, Rainbow's End, and it's a fictional account of what might have happened to Cooper after he parachuted from the plane. Mm. So you may or may not have heard of James M. Cain. So for those who haven't, he's an American novelist, journalist, and screenwriter. He's also widely regarded as one of the originators of the hard-boiled school of American crime fiction, which is a literary genre that shares some of its characters and settings with crime fiction, um, especially detective fiction or noir fiction. Mm -hmm. So fictionalizing a true crime. So Mm -hmm. it's not the exact same thing as Truman Capote in Cold Blood. Like these Mm -hmm. are, it's a really specific subgenre of like Mm -hmm. detective whodunit type Mm -hmm. of fiction of fact yeah interesting but this guy his novels the postman always rings twice and 34 double indemnity and 36 serenade 37 mildred pierce 41 butterfly 47 they he got a ton of critical acclaim and immense popular readership in america and abroad wow yeah and He never delivered a successful screenplay to Hollywood, but several of those novels are highly regarded films. Yeah. So 
I just wanted to include that to yeah. say like <laughs> his book is a big deal, yeah. even though a lot of folks today probably wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But back to Cooper's legacy in fiction, there's J.D. Reed's 1980 novel Free Fall, and that was used as the basis for an 81 film, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. Mm. Mm. We'll talk about. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elwood Reed's 2004 novel, D.B., a novel, is a fictionalized account of what supposedly happened to the real Cooper in the years following the hijacking as a pair of FBI agents attempt to pick up his trail and arrest him. The 1998 novel Sasquatch by Roland Smith features a character named Buckley Johnson, who eventually admits that he's D.V. Cooper to the novel's protagonist. Mm. And just interestingly, sort of the plot device in this novel was that he needed the money to treat his son's cancer. So just sort of hearkening back to your comment last week about oftentimes people who steal big need big. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. There's the Skyjacker's Guide, or Please Hold This Bomb While I Go to the Bathroom, (laughs) which is a comedy (laughs) novel inspired by the hijacking. (laughs) And Stephen King's Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption, Red, who is the character in the movie that's played by Morgan Freeman, Uh uh, jokingly theorized that one of the other convicts who escaped the prison had been D.B. Cooper. Mm, Yeah. Greg Cox's 2008 novel, The 4400, The Vesuvius Prophecy, features Cooper, and the hijacking is a central plot to the 2021 novel Bloodless by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. Mm. Um, And then there's also, in 2020, The Man in 18E, the first of a trilogy of fantasy novels involving historical mysteries and time travel. Oh, wild. Uh, Still sort of in literature, db's made his way into a few comics mm-hmm. the dilbert strip for january 17th 1991 features dogbert exhibiting cooper's remains with the punchline quote he learned that you should never get your parachutes from the same people you're robbing end quote <laughs> <laughs> which quick tangent uh fuck scott adams the <laughs> often racist anti-queer creator of dilbert you are a pathetic snowflake if you're listening. Boo, we hate you. Uh, back to comics. There's a webcomic, XKCD, that has a strip titled D.B. Cooper, where it theorized that actor-director Tommy Wiseau was D.B. Cooper, and he financed the infamous movie The Room with the money from the robbery. <laughs> Just cuz. <laughs> A 1989 strip from Gary Larson's The Far Side shows Ben and Vera's Rottweiler farm and a bunch of dogs looking up at a man with a parachute under the slogan, The Untold Ending of D.B. Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) And there's actually a comic book called The Secret History of D.B. Cooper, and that's by Brian Churia. And then a little bit of cocktail party banter before we leave the world of comics and a little theorizing with you yay so jumping all the way back to the 1950s so Uh well before the hijacking we have a comic book from france Mm. dan cooper (laughs) and these comics chronicle the exploits of the titular royal canadian air force pilot dan cooper 
So since the Skyjacker identified himself with that name, it's been speculated that he borrowed a false identity from these comics. Uh-huh. Something that does seem plausible. The only problem is that the Dan Cooper series were relatively unknown to Americans in 1971. So another wrinkle, but also another fascinating little tidbit. So my question, maybe our DB did reference this, uh-huh. has a connection to France. Yeah. And that's what I was saying last week about what if they left the country and mm-hmm. exchanged the money yeah well and some of the theories or some of the theorized suspects uh, quite a few of them served in vietnam but some of them served in world war ii and could have could have been in service in europe yeah so just a thing just another little piece yes so interesting yeah but to have a comic character Named Dan Cooper. Yeah. That's a pilot. Yeah, Yeah. it's very coincidental. It's a lot of coincidences. But let's pivot to movies first and then TV. Mm -hmm. So the movie The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper that I mentioned. Ruined my life. I'm going to ask you why in just a second. (laughs) It was directed by Roger Spottiswood and starred Treat Williams as Cooper and Robert Duvall as an insurance investigator pursuing him. And it's based on the novel that I mentioned, Freefall. Why did this uh, ruin your life? So it came out in 1980 or 81, you said? 81. So in 1981, I would have been, depending on the time of year, either eight or nine. And I'm a little kid in small town Missouri at the movie theater, as we call them there, by myself for reasons that are too time consuming for this podcast. And watching this movie, because, you know, I knew of it as like, oh, this cool mystery, whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in it. Have you seen it? No. There's a scene in it where D.B. Cooper is parachuting but it's like middle of a summer's day in the movie. And because it was the seventies, there's two hippies making love on the banks of the river. Uh. Totally N-A-K-E-D. And I was traumatized. (laughs) So this movie is the first movie that I ever got up and walked out of in my whole life. I was like, naked people. I can't see shield my eyes. And I left. And I was never the same again. (laughs) Very different from my movie trauma at that age, (laughs) where for whatever reason, my mother had me go into, as like a seven-year-old, Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) And then had dinosaur nightmares for a decade. (laughs) I mean, you know, naked people, dinosaurs killing people. It's very similar. (laughs) So maybe for other reasons, a lot of people might have walked out on this movie. (laughs) Uh, It was a bit of a flop. Uh. And the critics were brutal. (laughs) Vincent Camby of the New York Times wrote, quote, 
A number of excellent actors were coerced into performing what is a dismally unfunny chase comedy that eventually seems as aimless, short-sighted, and cheerlessly cute as the character they've made up and called D.B. Cooper. Wow. (laughs) And the next year, 1982, the film's original director, John Frankenheimer, described the film as, quote, Probably my worst ever experience. A key member in the chain of command had been lying to both management and myself with the result that we all thought we were making a different movie. End quote. What? (laughs) That's crazy. So I think it's safe to say we can probably skip that one if we're (laughs) looking looking for something to watch. Um, and then there's actually not a ton of movies, which is interesting. It is uh, interesting. We do have the 2004 movie Without a Paddle, starring Matthew Lillard, Seth Green, and Dak Shepard. Mm. And this one, they're a group of friends that go on a camping trip searching for the treasure of D.B. Cooper. Mm. This movie, which I did see in 2004, <laughs> and is probably extremely problematic today (laughs) Uh, it made nearly 80 million dollars at the box office and that's despite the fact that it currently has a 19 percent on rotten tomatoes wow wow oh and i misspoke 14 (laughs) (laughs) i mean with those three starring i just don't know how you could go wrong but well it made the money some people yeah, 80 million. How does something like that make 80 million? It was a different time before <laughs> superhero <laughs> culture. <laughs> There's also a sci fi original movie that I could find essentially zero information on, but wanted to include it for title alone mm-hmm. Bigfoot versus DB Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So not a stellar film legacy for DB, but there's a lot more success on the small screen. Mm-hmm. So the documentary series In Search Of had an episode in season four about the case. Oh, I forgot about In Search Of. I love that I show. <laughs> Another Unsolved Mysteries-esque. <laughs> uh, the main character of the cult classic Twin Peaks is named... Dale Bartholomew Cooper after DB. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, The show News Radio features an arc where radio station owner Jimmy James is believed to be Cooper. (laughs) James was arrested after a green duffel bag believed to have been Cooper's was found. At the trial, Adam West confesses that he's Cooper and that James was covering it up. (laughs) Uh, The TV show Leverage has an episode about the case. In 2017, an episode of Expedition Unknown entitled Cracking the D.B. Cooper Case featured host Josh Gates attempting to solve the case. Uh, Spoiler alert, he didn't. (laughs) Still unsolved. (laughs) In the show Prison Break, Muse Watson plays Charles Westmoreland, who's revealed to be D.B. Cooper in the show. Hmm. The first episode of the Disney Plus series Loki, titled Glorious Purpose, uh, Cooper's revealed to be Loki, who hijacked the plane after having lost a bet to Thor. Ooh, I like that one. (laughs) So DB has officially made his way into the MCU. Wow. Uh, It's a really good show. I like that one a lot. So did a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
It has a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, and that episode was the highest viewed ever on Disney Plus with nearly 2 million views. Holy shit. Uh, in July 13th of this year, this very year, Netflix released the really good four-part documentary miniseries entitled D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? Mm-hmm. And of course, that explores the incident as well as the identities, which Kirsten mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. So skip the movie, uh, head to Netflix instead, I think is the recommendation. I mean, it can't be very long before Ryan Murphy gets his hands on this one. That's calling that. Uh, D.B. Cooper's going to be such a hot brunette <laughs> actor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll speculate on casting in the after show notes. Um, And then there's even a D.B. Cooper reference in Breaking Bad. Mm. And it was in the episode called Better Call Saul. Uh, There was a joke about it that Bob Odenkirk said. So some pretty prestige and popular TV shows. Yeah, that's wild. So they get to make up for uh, the disappointment at the movie theaters. (laughs) But before we switch over to music, there is another interesting tangential TV connection, or I guess it's like a pop culture connection about TV. Ah, okay. (laughs) And this is one that took place at the water cooler when discussing the TV show Mad Men. Okay. ton of fans were convinced that the main character Don Draper was going to be revealed as D.B. Cooper. Oh, I remember that now, yeah. The buzz got so big that the producers of Mad Men had to publicly say that was not going to happen. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, the show, so yeah, it's like a pop culture connection, but actually no connection to Mad Men. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so interesting. I mean, it's like when we get a random, like, viral meme connection or something. Yeah. And I did find one video game. Um, In 2008, there's a video game called Sam and Max, and Dan B. Cooper is one of the famous missing persons found on Easter Island by the way of the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. So then um, switching over to music. Mm-hmm. Within two weeks of the skyjacking, local Washington songstress Judy Sword produced a song, D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? Wow. So I don't know Judy, but she was like, I'm going to strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, singer-songwriter Chuck Brodsky had a song called The Ballad of D.B. Cooper on his 2006 album, Tulips for Lunch. Okay. And my favorite lines from this one were, quote, Whoever D.B. Cooper was, today is still a mystery. The only unsolved skyjacking in aviation history. No one's ever tried to claim the very large reward. No one's ever seen him since he bailed out of the door. End quote. Um, there's a ska punk band, Victims of Circumstances, and on their second album, Roll the Dice, they have a song called The Final Flight of D.B. Cooper. Mm. 
Bill Maloney's The Ghost That I Run With is sung from the point of view of DB after years of hiding in the hills. Hmm. And that's on a 2011 album called The Power and the Glory. So this one had a fun stanza. So, quote, My getaway was fantastic, and my heart was all a-raptured. Shook off all their dogs, I eluded every capture. When my parachuted open wide, I still see blue sky in my dreams. Now it's mysteries left unsolved on your TV. End Hmm. quote. (laughs) But a lot of these songs were like direct retellings of (laughs) the case. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really interesting. I wish I could remember which one, but it was like literally the case in song form. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and a quick pause because I forgot to mention, it's something that doesn't exist yet, but one studio has purchased and is in development of a movie, which I debated about putting it in here or not because there are lots of D.B. Cooper movies that died in development. Yeah. But this one is about the flight attendant, and it's her perspective. And I wish I would have saved it. There was a quote from the creator, and she was saying, like, we're finally going to take a a look at the person who was victimized the most. And Mm -hmm. it's not about DB. It's about her. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I I couldn't really find much on her at all. So... It will be really cool if that makes it out of development because I think it's an interesting approach because that'd be so scary. <laughs> hey, I'm requiring you to sit next to me. I have a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, for sure. But back to music. We have National Embarrassment Kid Rock Song, Ba Wada Ba, contains a reference to Cooper and the Stolen Money. And this, Kirsten and listeners, is where my confession comes in. <laughs> <laughs> This song is permanently cemented in my brain (laughs) for the gayest reason possible. (laughs) Let's hear it. In the short-lived Bette Midler network TV show called Bette from the year 2000, she sings a version of this song, a little jazzy version (laughs) that is in my head all the time. All the time, it will just appear. And it was just like, ba with the ba da bang da bang diggy 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 said the boogie set up jump the boogie. <laughs> so that is my confession. I love it. Of what's happening in my brain at any given moment. <laughs> I love it. But back to music. Uh, the Mountain Goat song, Rain in Soho, references Cooper with the lyrics, No One Broke D.B. Cooper's Fall. In 2005, the band Everything Is Fine released an album called Ghosts Are Knocking on Walls, and that features two songs inspired by the case. Hmm. So the first is a song just called D.B. Cooper, and it imagines what his leap into history might have felt like emotionally. Mm-hmm. And the second is a song called Vapor Trails in Light, and it explores the mindset of the plane's occupants with the lyric, quote, you hijack the flight and disappear into the night, vapor trails in light, all we see tonight, but it's all right, end quote. Hmm. 
uh, folk-twinged alt-country singer-songwriter Todd Sinclair uh, paid a tribute to Cooper on his 2000 album Happy to Be Here and speculates that DB did in fact survive his leap and celebrated with a champagne toast. Uh, Kirsten's favorite genre, Australian deathcore brand. (laughs) Uh, We Came from the Depths released a song titled I Am DB Cooper on their 2010 album, Embracing the Abyss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Irish rock band Kopeck released a song titled The Easy Way, parentheses D.B. Cooper, mm-hmm. on their debut album, White Collar Lies, from 2010. And lastly, wow. New York hip-hop artist M.F. Doom's single, Ho Cakes, from the album, Mmm, <laughs> Food. <laughs> <laughs> references cooper with the lyrics other mcs is like a tv blooper mf doom he's like db cooper mm. she's like oh that's very good <laughs> i got that one on repeat so lots of genres mm-hmm. that's wild uh, music from around the world all different types <laughs> of music and you can hear some of them on our spotify playlist <laughs> That's not all amazing. of them are on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And then there's also restaurants and entertainment venues with the name D.B. Cooper. Hmm. So the ones that are active still are Madison Heights, Michigan, Kansas City, Missouri, and Houston, Texas. And ones that have closed are San Jose, California, Nashua, New Hampshire. Interesting. That's so strange. So... He could just be anywhere. <laughs> and maybe he's eating at one of those restaurants right now. Oh my God. That's amazing. But to sort of wrap it up, I wanted to end with a great quote from an article on Oregon Public Broadcasting by Megan Cuthill. And this is an article from last year, so the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Quote, in the 50 years since his jump into history, Cooper has never been found. But as a legend a mystery, and a pop culture artifact, he has left a lasting legacy in the Pacific Northwest and the world. End quote. And that, friends, is a peek into the wide-ranging impact of this case on pop culture. That's wild. I mean, I'm going to just go out there and say, I think, and I know this is somewhat controversial, but I think this is the crime of the last century. You know, I mean, over the course of that hundred years, a lot of crimes were called that. I think Mm -hmm. like the Lindbergh case and OJ Simpson, but I think it's this one. And I think it's just that mystery about it. It's so confounding. And I know that there are a lot of unsolved mysteries out there, but this one seems to really have captured the imagination. And because no one was physically hurt, people can indulge it in a way that perhaps they feel too ashamed to indulge with crimes like the Zodiac or things like that. That's so true. I tried to go the sort of academic paper route with this one as well. I didn't find anything super quotable, Mm -hmm. but that was a piece of it. Like the fact that it was a victimless crime Mm -hmm. was a part of the reason he's like celebrated Mm -hmm. and not I don't know what you would call it with the serial killer, but he's like celebrated. Like, yeah, that's there's conventions and events and restaurants because it's like he's kind of like a folk hero. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I think that there were some, you know, different theories or other kind of connotations of a Robin Hood kind of situation, which definitely was not the case. I mean, there's no evidence of that. But, you know, people, because it's unsolved, people can project anything they want onto it. And Mm -hmm. again, in a way that there's really no fear, I think, of social sanction because it's heinous and bloody or lots of victims and things like that. But it's so interesting to me. And again, I just really feel like if he hadn't survived, we would probably know who it is. Well, I guess it could be a loner. Hmm. I suppose, but I mean, to go completely unmissed. Uh, I just need to know who it is. (laughs) I know. It's so interesting. And I, I will say, though, I think that this is one of the ones that if they can discover who it is, and I think it's totally possible that they can, um, is going to be so underwhelming. It's going to just be a rando person that no one's ever heard Uh of. And like, it's going to be a huge disappointment. Should we go to CooperCon? I think we should. I mean, I've never been to that part of the country, and I have always wanted to, and so I think we should. I love that part of the country. I think I would, too. It seems like a good place to disappear if you can survive the fall. (laughs) Especially in the 70s. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was just a completely different time. I mean, imagine being able to board a plane without showing a government-issued ID. It's, like, mind-boggling. Well, and now it even has to be a real ID. I know. I know. It's, like... Yeah, I mean, I can remember some olden-time shit, you know? Like, oh, he smoked on the plane. I can remember smoking on planes. Oh, this, oh, that. Like, a lot of these I'm old enough to remember, but to walk up to an agent. I mean, it's like, it's like riding on a bus or something. You walk into the Greyhound and give them 20 bucks and there you go. You probably can't even do that now without an ID. (laughs) It's crazy. It's wild. Uh, And to reinvent yourself. I mean, we talked about it when we talked about the list case, how amazing it was that you could just reinvent yourself back then. Everything was so possible. I mean, what are the chances that you and I would be master criminals if only the barriers to entry were a little bit lower like they were in 1971? (laughs) I just can't believe they actually gave him the money. Yeah, well, you know, there was no protocols. I mean, I didn't mention in my part, but at some point they made the um, punishment for hijacking the death penalty. It was automatically the death penalty. And that's since been rescinded. Um, But, (laughs) you know, they tried a lot of various things to discourage people from doing this. But also, you know, one thing that I read is some things that were instituted after this, which we, again, just take completely for granted. There were no cameras anywhere. There were no security cameras in the airport, on the planes, (laughs) nothing. And, you know, now, I mean, there's probably not a square inch of an airport or an airfield that is not covered by a camera and lights. So yeah. it's like, it was in some ways it was the Wild West. Well, it does feel like old Western bank robber, but in the 1970s version of that. Yeah, which is why some consider him a folk hero. It's wild. I mean, 
But compared to a lot of cases that we do, this one, you know, isn't as grim or as gruesome, and thank God. But as you mentioned, I mean, those people on the plane who knew about the hijacking had every reason to think that they would die, and so they certainly suffered trauma after this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It was a nice break. I have been researching my next week's, and it is (laughs) gruesome. Same with my next week's. So enjoy this palate cleanser, folks, um, because next week we're coming back at you hard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Abso-fucking-lutely. As a turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 